Hello and welcome to the Startups Roundtable. I'd like to start with an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet. Here in Sydney, it's the Gadigal people. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. Bindi Maps is changing the lives of people with a vision impairment by enabling them to navigate public spaces independently and safely. And it was a pleasure to speak with Dr. Anna Wright, who is the CEO and co-founder of Bindi Maps, on this episode of the Startups Roundtable. Anna developed the idea for Bindi Maps after undergoing years of major surgery to save her own eyesight. And she shares many valuable experiences and perspectives in this conversation. So let's get started and meet Anna. Hello, my name's Anna Wright. I'm the CEO and one of the founders of Bindi Maps. That's what I'm doing right now and I absolutely love it. And I'm sure we'll get into why in this conversation. My background's in fairly sedate, boring finance, which makes most people groan until it's year end and they need to get their tax returns done or in startup world, their R&D claims done, of which I have done zillions. That's when everybody's quite happy that I have a finance background. Probably what's a little bit more interesting is the reason why I started Bindi Maps or why the idea came to me. I actually have a vision impairment and a little bit more than that. When I was, so I was working one of those ghastly big jobs in one of the large accounting firms and my vision in my right eye went fuzzy as though somebody had somehow managed to put Vaseline on my eye. And I just put it down to stress because, you know, we're all stressed, but it didn't clear up. So I went to see the doctors and went down this enormous rabbit hole of first trying to get a diagnosis because it sort of seems that without a name for something, there's no protocol on how you treat something. So they eventually gave it a name, which was a rather that has both presumed and uh, syndrome in it. So I think they were making up a lot of that. But where I was lucky and unlucky was, so there were only 17 of us in Australia and a couple of hundred worldwide that have this named syndrome, and everybody else had had it in both eyes instantly. So would have been effectively blind, like just where you stand. I only had it in one eye. And so the doctors would go, well, like first you've got something really rare, but then you're really rare even rarer within that. But we don't see any reason why your other eye won't just go in a snap as well. What would it be like to do work or the training you need to do to be able to work on your computers and the the adaptive things you need to do? But bigger than that, I was like, how am I going to get to work? And that's where this whole thing of navigating around, because you you, you start to learn how to read Braille. And I'm going, well, how do I know that there's a Braille sign there? I'm not going to trail my fingers around Central Station (laughs) on the walls to try and find the Braille that says that I'm at a certain point. And that was back then. And now we're in COVID times. It's even more like we don't want to be touching random (laughs) stuff. So that was where the idea was, was, you know, we can use our phone to navigate around outside. And me being the finance person that was no idea on tech at the time, was like, why can't I use my phone to go around inside as well? And so that's where the idea was really born, was out of a personal lived frustration. To go from that step, from a a personal lived frustration, to take that step to actually try and solve it, how did you how did you reach the point where you thought it was you that needed to do that? And and how, how did you actually make that step? I'm trying to get rid of the word lucky out of my experience. 
I had a friend that put me, she just said, you know that Braille thing you keep talking about? Well, there's this new incentive program for female founders to go into a, and it was the Blue Chili She Starts program, which is was absolutely fantastic. It's no longer in existence, but was absolutely fantastic and all credit to them. But they basically gave me some cash. They gave me some developers. They gave me some skills and basically just took a bet on it. So this friend of mine who did, I was like, oh, you know, should I? Because it was it was turned like a competition. Should I enter? Shouldn't I enter? And four o'clock one morning, I thought, oh, stuff it. I'll enter. <laughs> So, like I said, I'm trying not to use the word lucky, but it was it, – and then it just snowballed because I started talking to developers and they're going, you can't do that. You can't localize somebody indoors. We can try with beacons, but they're not good enough. And then whenever somebody tells me I can't do something, I, that's it. I'm going to do it. And we did. We did it. So, no, <laughs> it worked. sounds like you were going to get it done without the challenge, but as soon as the challenge was there, it was inevitable. That you're going to get there. You never know. I mean, like when you're doing something really novel, and quite often you know, people go, Why hasn't this been done before? And the reason why is because it was bloody hard. And there's probably a reason why nobody had done it before. So anyway, that, that's by the by. I find this particularly interesting uh, from a, a number of perspectives. One is a company I worked with, maybe. I won't think too long about when maybe about eight years ago, nine years ago or so, and they were bringing together mobility. It was indoors, and it was to do with moving people around large retail areas. So the technology existed, the ability to actually move people around, and there was a, a business case around why you would do it, being able to find out where in a, in a large shopping center, areas that weren't being populated and how to drive people around. So there was a very, very solid model. And I still remember talking to somebody at one of the retailers and they said, we're just trying to get fresh fruit on the shelves. Where I'm going with that is the technology has been there essentially for a time, but to apply it, to serve an audience, to serve a group of people, that's the step. And if we have a look at technology over time, a lot of amazing technology has been around for a long, long time. But to actually do that and then to start to develop it and then start to evolve it. And one thing that really caught my attention, whilst you're serving an audience today and a group of people today, your point on your website is that it's for everyone. So being able to help everybody move around inside. And I'd love to talk about that a little bit and whether that was your thought at the start or at what point that that evolution or that next phase came to mind. It was never my thought at the start because I was being very specific about helping people with vision impairment because I thought, well, let's start with the hardest. No, it was that, that lived experience of let's let's see what we can do to help people that are really excluded from a lot of our large public buildings because they can't independently get around them. So that's where I started. But it, it actually, we, we were there going, okay, well, lots of sighted people tell us that they get lost all the time. And it was actually, we were out at a particular site, we were doing some testing, and there were some younger 20-year-olds there going, what have you got? Like, what is that that you've got? And it was at one of the university campuses, and they were like, well, can that help me find my exam room? Because I'm really lost at the moment. <laughs> I don't know where my... And we're like, yeah, well, it, yeah, you've got a map view. We showed them there's the blue line, so you need to go here, you need to go up those stairs over there and around. And, and they're like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And that's when we thought, oh, okay, well, everybody gets lost. Maybe all of that visual signage that's around that's useless to people who are blind 
maybe it's also useless to people who are visually able. And maybe, just maybe, people like to have all that information in their phones because that's what we're used to. So that's where we started to think that we could be relevant to a, a larger market. But I will say that first and foremost, with Bindi Maps, our mission is to help people with vision impairment. We've just started to branch out of that to do wheelchair accessible routing and also autism spectrum routing. So we still want to stay that I suppose the way that we talk is we talk about true universal design. Anyone can use the product without modification. Anna, you've spoken about the people you're looking to serve and you've touched a, a tiny bit there on the technology. As I was looking at what it is that you're doing, it can't exist without relationships and partnerships. How do you go about prioritizing? Because I imagine on any given day, there are that many things that you could actually reach out and touch of people that want you to get involved with. How do you work out the priority stack? Look, I think that's one thing we're really lucky with at Bindi Maps that I've got a fabulous team in that we don't all think the same. We certainly do have conflicts that we, you know, will nut out. But because we're nutting those things out, we're really good at, at prioritizing. So we will sit down and think, well, what are our goals? Our six month, year, five year goals, then bring that back to what do I need to do this month, this week, today? And then we agree on what those goals are and go for it. But yeah, you're right. It's really easy in startup world, like especially when you're developing a product, that one person says, oh, I'd like it to do this. And somebody else, oh, I'd like it to do that. Because you're trying to be helpful, you've got to learn how to say no on some things and to put them into a product backlog or no completely. Or yeah, really good idea. Let's take that to the next team meeting and see if we're going to bump it up the line. But it is desperately hard because we're charting this. Un we don't know. It's not like we're following somebody else's work papers on what did they do last year? We'll repeat it this year and we'll be successful. That's a very good explanation of how you do the prioritization. I expect it'll be a little bit like doing share trading where it would be easy to look back in a, in a period of time and go, oh, it's crystal clear that we should have done this here. But when you're making it up as in inventing it, not just evolving it, that's a challenge to itself. When you work through from the start to where you are now, were there any points of complexity that surprised you and, and maybe one that comes to mind? And how did you actually take the complexity out of that? Lots and lots of complexity. So first, I had no idea how the tech was going to work, but I thought that it was going to be a tech issue, like finding the right tech stack and getting the algorithms and all of that sort of thing. But what proved to be even more complicated was how do you get a app to form those language protocols so that you're giving people enough information about what they're working through, walking through, but not overload them. And then, you know, do you say, because when we're on a road, it's actually quite easy. Set of lights turn left. But if you're walking across a paddock or a big open area of a shopping center, it's like, turn a little bit left, turn a little bit more left, or do you use degrees or do you use clock face? So that ended up being the most complex. And we're still working on that, especially people with vision impairment. They're used to being talked to. And it's a conversation with a sighted person about how to get around. And we've had to sort of distill that down into voiceover, which is effectively like having Siri talk to you, but it's a function in the phone for people with vision impairment to be able to interact. So that was way more complicated than we thought it was ever going to be. 
as many years ago that I was at Teachers College and I was doing geography as a subject. And I still remember a unit about systems geography. There was a university in Canada and they hadn't had time to lay down the paths in the on the campus. It snowed and they could see where people walked through the snow and they put the path down there. It is simple. And the world that you're describing could not be further from there. And the trust that people place the moment they decide to use Bindi Maps, that's that's a trust that you can only be let down once and, and you won't go back to it again. That must bring with it its own pressure and responsibility. Absolutely. I mean, one thing I was really careful about was right from the beginning, before we built anything, I was talking with Guide Dogs New South Wales ACT, so the Guide Dogs Foundation up here in New South Wales. And since then, we've expanded to be talking with Vision Australia and Royal Society for the Blind, because I never wanted to do anything pretending to be blind. Therein lies absolute madness. So get some of the experts involved. But even that um, led to its own, like one person would tell you to do one thing. And Actually, it actually felt like when I was doing my PhD and my supervisors would be fighting, <laughs> you do this and go all, all over. But it's been a fun journey doing all of that learning. And you're right, when somebody who's blind or vision impaired tries the app, so we've tried to put as many safe, well, not safeguards, but this was part of the language that we would develop because let's say you're walking your path and you get jostled. So you're now on a different path. The, the app will update for you. But as you're walking through the space, we will give you sort of natural language reminders of, oh, okay, now you're passing the coffee shop or to get to your next destination, you need to go past the coffee shop because you're to smell that. So it gives you an in-place way that if you're feeling a little bit worried that is Bindi Maps really doing the right thing? And then it says you've got a coffee shop on your left and you can smell the coffee shop and hear the coffee shop, then you have that additional confirmation. As far as trying things, and absolutely, we don't ever want anyone to have a bad experience, but everybody will. And it's just then to adapt that feedback. But I've actually found that people who are blind and vision impaired are just, they're so wonderful at helping us with this. And they are just so keen. We have a lot of tears when people try it and they're happy tears. Don't worry. It's not, I hate this. No, but a lot, a lot of happy tears because it's quite often is the first time that somebody's been able to just go off. There was a great tweet from the chair of Blind Citizens Australia where she says something along the lines of, and now there's no excuse for somebody with vision impairment not to go and buy an anniversary present anymore. <laughs> That's brilliant. I'm like, damn it, sorry. <laughs> I love that. That's fantastic. As you start to to look to the next horizon, where do you look to for trends? How do you chart the course? I think, again, it comes back down to that sort of prioritizing. So when we are charting things, so we're also really careful, not only just on a product point of view, but also in our reaching out to customers. So the app's free for people to download and use. So the people who pay us are the building owners. So we're always testing different verticals. So there's verticals that are easier or more difficult to get into for whatever reason. We've done really well so far in shopping centers, but you know we want to get beyond just helping people people consume. We want to help them contribute. So that means getting into education, getting into workplaces and things like that. But again, it's sort of like product. You could do a million different verticals all at the same time and then just get completely lost in this person wants this and that person wants that. So probably with your shopping centre experience, you, you also know that like we're collecting a lot of anonymised data as well with this system. And our data is actually quite unique in that we've got directional flow, not just heat mapping. So there's quite a lot of cool stuff that we can do with different clients, but it's about not, I mean, there's only seven of us. So we don't want to get completely overwhelmed. 
You mentioned before about uh, contests and the like. Could I get some commentary from you? If someone was listening to this conversation and was thinking about an accelerator program and also coaches and, and mentors, could you give some commentary around that, please? My experience is that they've, well, obviously you've had your better ones or your worse ones, but I think they've been invaluable. It's really hard to get out of your own domain specific knowledge and then go into something more broad. So yeah, mentors, accelerator programs, of course, you know, you've got to look at them, see what other people's experiences have been, who are these people, and then also to be really clear and really curious about what don't I know that I don't know, because that's a big gap we've all got. We don't know what we don't know. So, And that's where you need to plug those gaps with either a staff member or a mentor or an advisor. But I'd say to do this out in the wilderness would have never happened. So without the support of programs and the mentors I've had along the line, it would have fallen over in a big heap pretty quickly. Do you have any commentary as well around funding and how some things that have surprised you that you would share? Well, I love my current investors, but the first one to write me a check, I was really surprised. And I actually take it as a beautiful, beautiful compliment on what we're doing and the team that people will trust their hard-earned cash and hand it over because they they see the vision and the potential for the business. But securing funding is really hard. And I don't think that changes in any... I know there's a lot of research that says that it's harder for women to get it, but I think it's hard for everyone to get funding. It's a long, lonely journey. Lots of no's. I've been speaking with a number of startups that have been part of a an accelerator program that is funded and run by the company that I work with it's in the technology space. And the hurdles they need to go through is, is no different to what you're describing, I'm sure. And even when I've spoken with a couple of founders who have had two successful exits, it doesn't get easier. And I can imagine that in the moment that we're living in right now, that it's arguably more difficult. Would you think that the actual time we're in now makes it more difficult? So the questions that especially VCs are going to be asking is is around what's your sales pipeline looking like? How much money are you making? How much money do you think you're going to be making? That was hard enough to answer with any sort of dignity before COVID. But now we don't know when things are going to ramp up again. It may all fall in a big heap again. Those questions answered on how fast your sales are growing at the moment, desperately hard. I work with a global tech company in the same questions posed to us. So how, how do you connect with the customer? The business case, how do you build that business case? It was challenging before. You can probably upgrade challenging to hard now, but it forces the identification of a problem that needs to be solved, which you've clearly found. And the conversation that you've shared with me today and with the people listening to the podcast to take us through that that moment where you, you left what was a pretty happy life to actually go down this path. Uh, what you've shared with us over the last 25 minutes has just been fantastic, Anna, and I'm so grateful. And for the, the genuine commentary and tips that you've shared, it's just brilliant. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> Thanks, Tony. That's all we have time for today. Feedback is always appreciated. And also let me know if you would like to be a guest on the show or would like to suggest a future guest. Thanks for listening and bye for now.